Good morning, elect exiles. Uh, it's important we continue to remember this is while Peter has addressed uh, the church. Uh, if you're new with us, we're walking through First Peter. We rather just walk through books of the Bible section by section, and uh, we're now uh, in chapter one, verse thirteen. But let's go back to chapter one, verses one and two. He's writing to the elect exiles. He's writing to a uh, church, the churches that exist in these different areas and in Turkey. And everything he's writing is helping the church know how to persevere, how to be obedient, how to continue on in what God has done for them and what God expects of them. As we think about the election, it that means we've been called. With, with God's great power, he has spoken to us and he's, he's saved us. With As exiles, it, it means we belong somewhere else. We're aliens. This world is supposed to feel somewhat strange to us because, well, we have been changed. Uh, Again, if you're new with us and and if you were here, chapters 1, verses 3 to 12, that that really is the only ways God has saved us. The the significant focus there, God has brought about, he has caused us to be born again. He's he's brought about a great salvation. We, We looked at last week, beginning in verse 10. It's a salvation promised, planned, he, he has done a great work. Now, verse 13, he's making a shift. There's a therefore. We, we are supposed to behave differently because of what God has done for us. Uh, a summary of what this passage is can be found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He's called you out of darkness into marvelous light. We have to hold those two parts of salvation. You, you, you are saved from sin, and you're saved from judgment, and you're, you're brought into righteousness and goodness and truth. How, how good it is that he brings us out of darkness. Oh, how good it is that he brings us into light. Well, this week we have, what, based upon what God has done, we now have a high calling. The, the particular part of the passage that should stand out is be holy. Be holy. That's a high calling. Th- that is a significant, weighty calling. Why would God give such a high calling to his people? I propose to you this is why. He loves them. He loves them. Loving somebody means we have high expectations. He's loved us and and reached down into the depths of darkness and in the grossness of sin. That's one way you know we know his love. But but another way we know his love is that he he lifts us up. He calls us up. He, He commands us up to be holy. Uh, This morning, if you're taking notes, I believe a, a helpful way of Tracing what the passage is, is, is giving us in steps, four words, hope, holiness, fear, faith. The, the two most significant there are, are hope and holy. R- really, the fear and faith are modifying that holiness, but I, I want to think through those in, in, in four steps so we kind of follow along and, and have some hooks for the weighty teaching here. But there's a hope. We have. There's a call to be holy. 
There's a fear and a faith. First, hope. Now, this is verse 13. There's a hope for future grace. Verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, therefore, he's transitioned from the salvation he has told us was promised and planned and, and, and the salvation that has been brought about because in history, Jesus died on the cross and God the Father raised him from the dead. It's a salvation that was promised from ages of old with the prophets. And now the Spirit is declaring through the proclamation even today. Therefore, there's a logical conclusion. What happens next? Well, the, the main action is set your hope on the grace to come. Now, believer, you, you've received a great grace today. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, grace has been for you. Grace is how you have now been saved. It is God's grace that caused him to look at us in our sin and send his son to die for us and rise again. There's a, there's a grace today, but notice future grace in this passage. He's not done. He's not given us everything we're going to receive. There, there's more than the salvation we've already received, which is incredible. Set your hope on what is to come that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we're supposed to be a future-oriented people. We're supposed to be waiting with an expectation. And this isn't like a young teenager sitting by the phone just hoping that person's going to call. You're just, just kind of this fleeting hope that, that you're, you're, all your hopes is that that, that phone will ring and you'll, you'll hear from this person and, and that'll make everything just right. No, it's so much more sure because God said Jesus will come back. There, there, there's, a, there's an expectant waiting. There, there's a way to actively wait. You're, we're, we're not just kind of waiting with, with, with this dire desperation. No, there's, there's grace today. That gives us an assurance of a grace that has come to come. There's an action to this hope. There's a longing for this hope. Now, hope we normally think of kind of something that's in us or happens to us. Here, hope is something you 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 set yourself towards. Notice there's an activity in moving towards hope. You're setting your own hope. You're, you actually can discipline your desires. That's good news. You can set your hope. And, and there's something important. Everybody has some kind of hope that they're moving towards. There's some kind of hope we're, we're, we're trying to lean in on and, and we're waiting for. All right, we, we have a lot of young folks. Maybe your, your hope is you just can't wait to get that driver's license and get some freedom. Or, or get a cell phone. So you think you'll have freedom. Just makes you more, 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 more available. 
Maybe your hope is, I can't wait to graduate, or I, I, I can't wait to, to, to enter the workforce. Or maybe your hope is, I can't wait to retire and get out of that workforce. I can't wait to be married. I can't wait to have children. I can't wait for those children to go away to college. We, there was no need for an amen at that point. <laughs> we, we have these different stages of life hopes, and, and they're good. God has designed us for these different stages of life hopes, but, but there's an ultimate hope that, that should define how all those other plans and, and desires and hopes kind of fit under the, the hope that Christ is coming back. There's a, there's a grace still to come. Well, we need to be challenged here because what hope most defines how you're making your daily decisions? What hope most entertains your mind and, and takes up your, 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 your activity of thought. Here, I believe Peter's telling us as elect exiles, those, those other hopes are good to plan and think about, but the hope is a grace that is still to come when Christ returns. Here, there's a, there's a future grace. You're forgiven now. It's... It, 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 we can never get past this. We, we have to constantly be amazed that God, when we believed, declared forever, you're forgiven. The, the grace that is still to come is to actually feel and realize even more what that means. You, you've been made a new creature, creation. You've been given new life. And, and the grace to come is that you'll be able to enjoy that new life more. You see, grace now forgives us. It takes away the penalty of sin, but the, the grace that is still to come transforms us. It takes away all the presence of sin. That's the significance of being an elect exile. God has given you a new life in his son. And, and that means our hopes are corrupted. Our love is not as pure as it ought to be. Our worship is still confused. We're, we're longing for that grace where we're purified perfectly. And we'll worship him and love him. Set your hope. That's a persevering activity. Constantly remembering Christ is coming. Set your hope on the grace that is still to be brought to you when Christ returns. Now, I want us to see that that's the main idea. And then there's three really important qualifiers. Set your hope fully, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded. Well, the word fully, it's what it sounds like. There's nothing magical here. It means fully, completely. Not partially, not compartmentalized. It's not that you just set your hope when you come to church. It's you set your hope when you're at work, and it's going to affect the way you work. You set your hope when you're around the dinner table, and it's going to affect the way you approach your family and friends and those you have at the dinner table. You, you set your hope at all aspects of life, at, at all times. Discipleship of Jesus Christ is all-encompassing. Well, preparing your minds for action. Pre preparing the, the thoughts. And, and the word preparing is... is 
it seems to be borrowing from the idea of the Exodus when, when God told Israel be ready to, to gird up, to, to, to run swiftly, to, to, to be ready for action. There, there, there's, there's, I believe the, the best equivalent we have is roll up your sleeves. This requires elbow grease. If you don't know what that means, that means hard work. It isn't something we do just kind of casually and haphazardly. To set your hope means you're, you're, you're prepared, you're, you're training. It's, it's not something you just accidentally do. It's, it's thoughtful. You know, and the reason it's thoughtful is that you're preparing your minds. Church, the, the Christian faith is, is meant to be thoughtful. The, the, the Christian life is meant to change the way we think so that we can change the way we desire and love. As we about preparing your minds for action, when we think about what it means to think as a Christian, this is what God tells us. He tells us who he is and what he thinks. Preparing your minds for action means we get to think God's thoughts after him. How good is that? To, 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 to be able to receive what God, the, the perfect father, thinks in, in his word and be able to know what that means and to know who he is, and therefore that's part of preparing ourselves for the grace to come. Sober-minded. That, that, that has the idea of just self-control. Not, not erratic and in, in, in emotional or not erratic in ideas. Or the, there, there, there's not a, mo, a mental or emotional drunkenness. It's, it's important that the, the Christian life become grounded in, in God's word, in God's thoughts, that there's a a self-control that follows along. And this makes sense because if you're setting your hope forward, you're, you've got to have self-control to know how to not let it go sideways constantly. What, what a high calling for elect exiles. Preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope full in the grace that is still to come in Jesus Christ. And that revelation, if you go back to verses 3 to 12, remember that's what is so secure. He, he, he's continuing an argument, but he's not interesting anything necessarily new yet. Remember, he, that, that inheritance that's imperishable is guarded and kept for you. Our second point, holiness. The, the hope, set your hope, set your expectations, set your, your planning on the grace that is still to be brought to you. And, and, and we see a, another way in which we're going to talk about that expectation of what God expects of us, and that is, he expects holiness. That's weighty. Uh, verses 14 to 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The first thing I want us to see there is obedient children. There's, there's a, such a significant assumption going on there in that you've, you've been adopted in the family of God. God has, God has brought you near because he's come near to you there, as, as obedient children. And that's the right kind of child. A, a child who, who knows their 
father, the child who respects their father, the child who sees the goodness of the father and, and is obedient, assuming that father is good. As obedient children, there's a contrast in the command. Do not do this, but do this. Do not be conformed to those inner desires and passions of your former ignorance, but be holy in your conduct. Notice there is the passions of your former ignorance versus holy conduct. And it's good here, your conduct is what's focused on. Because we could just feel like the call to be holy is so overwhelming and, and so beyond reach to be like, well, I'm just waiting for superpowers from above or, or some kind of outfit to wear that will give me superhuman strength to be holy. I, how, how to be that different? How to, how to put on something that unique? You, you don't become a different kind of creature necessarily, as a, 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 you know, not a human. No, the, the holy conduct, really what we're called to do there is put on the behavior that God has not only commanded, but we're, we're putting on the holiness and we're exercising the holiness that, that God has already done in us? See, God sets us apart. We can go back to chapter 1, verse 2. In the sanctification of the Spirit, that, that, the same word is holy there. The Holy Spirit makes us holy. God has already done a work of holiness. The command to be holy in your conduct is simply trying to make sure our behavior, our, our actions, match the work of grace that God has already begun in us. The Holy Spirit sanctifies you, and now we're called to live up to what he has done. But notice there's two qualifiers that Peter gives us in verses 15 and 16. As he who called you is holy. God is holy, holy, holy. That's, that's the attribute and characteristic of God we know that's repeated three times. There's, it's a significant characteristic of God. He who is holy, when he calls us to himself, he, he's, he's clearly going to call us to his holiness. And then he grounds it in because it is written. As obedient children, we're looking back, and as we looked at last week, the, the Old Testament is ours. As he quotes Leviticus, he's saying this, this command is still true for you today because God is still holy. Notice there's two sources that will determine our behavior. The passions of your former ignorance or the word of God or God himself. There's God and his word and what he has said in his holiness, or there's our passions, our internal desires of our former ignorance. I ask you, what determines what your behavior should be like more? Is it what your internal desires are, or is it the word of God? And those two things are oftentimes contrasted. Are you committed to being true to yourself or to God? I have to tell you, yourself apart from God is a liar. Yourself apart from God is going to lead you away from God. But thanks be to God for his word. Because notice, it's former ignorance. You're not ignorant anymore. You have God. You know God, and you know his word. And his word should be shaping the passions you now have. Why would we go back 
to the things we desired before we knew God. The former ignorance. We, we, we need to be able to know God and his truth. Uh, there's a Christian philosopher, uh, Francis Schaeffer, who, who, who said something like, there's true truth. And that sounds funny. But it was really important because we all have my truth. Right? We, we all embrace some subjective truth. We all embrace some idea of this is, this is what I believe to be true. What we have to ask is, is it true true? Is it, is it aligned with God's truth? When, I, when I'm looking inside and the passions I have, are they properly aligned and informed by God and his holiness? It's too easy to want to be pulled back into some desire that we used to have that was ungodly. To, to want to follow along with some passion. What a high and good calling. Be holy as he who called you is holy. Be holy in your conduct. Be holy as it is written. You shall be holy for I am holy. Now, I'll be very clear, clear Christian. God's command is for you to be holy. You cannot be holy enough for God to save you. God is powerful enough to save you to be holy. I feel the need to maybe define some terms here as we throw terms around. A significant one is legalism. Peter is using the law. He is, be, he, he is acting in some way like a legalist in the sense of he's using the law. So we usually think of legalism as something negative and bad. No, Peter is a good a, a good uh, legalist. He's, he's, he's practicing what is a right handling of the law, just like Jesus does when he handles the law. There's a right way to see the law. There's a wrong way to use the law. The, the, the clear right way to use the law is the three purposes of the law. The, the law helps us see our sins, so we know how those passions are wrong. The law helps us see our sin as we look into the good law of God. The law helps curb our behavior, so it shows us what's out of bounds. And the law is a guide to show us what it means to pursue proper righteousness and goodness and holiness. Well, there's a, a few bad ways we could use the law. This is what we normally call legalism. Uh, the first is a work salvation. And this idea is that you must do this in order to be good enough for God to save you. That, that's false. That is, that is anathema. You, God loves you while you're a sinner. God, Christ died for you while you're a sinner. And, and you believe. And by faith alone, you are saved. So, so any kind of law that says in order to be saved, you must do this, that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a dangerous, deadly use of the law. There's another use of the law that is actually much more common in churches, and it's it's a work sanctification. You're saved by grace through faith, but now start doing all these things and, and, and you'll be right. It, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't say you need to do works to be saved. It just means here's like the list of 10 things you must do now to, to continue on in that faith. Well, that's not exactly right either. What we normally call legalism is what I call the imposing imposter. That's somebody who wants to take their tradition or their conviction or their opinion and force it upon you because it's, it's what they think is right, therefore it's what you must think is right. 
And the, the, the significant uh, focus there is it's something God hasn't clearly said. You need to behave this way, act this way, not do this, not do that. Those are the three bad legalisms. Notice we have to have the right use of the law here. We have to be able to see how good it is that God would say, be holy. Be, be holy as he is holy, be holy as he has commanded. And let's put it in the bigger framework. God has given you his own son to die for you, to give you new life. God has given you his own spirit, the, the, the very spirit of Christ that, that, that allows us to cry out to him as Abba Father, the, the spirit that, that allows us to know him and, 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 and go up to him in prayer. And the same God has given you his son and his spirit. He's also given you his law. Those are three good gifts. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit are the, the, the one God who's worthy of worship, and his law is the way we know how to worship him. To be elect exiles means... We seek to live a new life. Be holy. It means we stop following the desires of our old heart. It means at that point we also stop following the step-by-step, the ways of this world and their sinful desires that we used to be in step with. It now means we seek to keep in step with the Holy Spirit by obeying His Word. Believer, God who is holy declared you holy has done a work in you to make you holy and now commands you to be holy. I I want us to see, that's amazing. God commanding you to be holy, that's just kind of cool. It's not burdensome. That is a good, holy God who gives us a good command. We, we, we too often think, well, the command, it, oh, how weighty, how difficult, how, how it's going to not allow me to do the things I want to do. Oh, that's good. It's good. Christian, let me just ask you this. If, if not holiness, what do you want to do? I ask that not to shame you, but like, like seriously, calculate. What is it I want to do that would be contrary to God's holiness? Is it better than God and holiness? I say that because we all get sidetracked with some other desire. We all get sidetracked with some other kind of hope or, 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 or pursuit of happiness. Oh, it, holiness is the best it gets. There's no higher calling. There's no better calling. This is it. The God who is holy, who makes you holy, says be holy. Are we pursuing holiness in the pure way of God? Holiness like that hope is is meant to be an all-encompassing. We should desire to be holy at work. It means you'll work as under the Lord, and you'll be the best employee your boss knows. Holiness at home, which means you'll you'll seek to honor God with the way you relate to your, your roommate, your spouse, your children, your parents. You'll, you'll seek to make his commands inform every kind of activity and behavior and desire you have. You'll have holiness in your calendar. The, the, the way to really know what you think is holy is what you write in pen on your calendar. What you see as most sacred is what you always do, no matter what. Do you have holiness in your calendar? Have you prioritized the things 
of God that actually help you grow in holiness. It's too easy to think, uh, I, I, I can't be that super spiritual. You actually are a new kind of creature. You've been born again. You've been given the Holy Spirit. We now, as we'll look at next week in verse 22, the purity, being purified is so important for the aspect of holiness because blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. The, the whole goal is to know God. Here, be holy. It's living as if before God, quorum Deo, because you are living before God. Set your hope full in the grace. Be holy as God is holy. Now, I want you to see we're, we're going to treat these as separate points, but they're building off the call to be holy. And that, that is fear and faith. Fear and faith. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with pres- the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. I want you to see that this very high expectation of holiness has two very important significant components. First, God the Father will bring judgment. And, and secondly, You've been ransomed by the precious blood of, God, of, of Christ. The, the holy God has a holy judgment. And the holy God has brought about a holy salvation. It's significant for that holy conduct. Notice there, verse 17, conduct yourselves with fear. Go back up to 15. Be holy in all your conduct. There's a reverence required in our conduct in order to be holy. And there's a holiness in our conduct that is required for it to uh, be be fearful, to to have reverence. Notice he gives an if. There's a condition. If you call on him as father, which means you're an adopted child, which means you believed in his son, which means you're part of the family. Here, the, the judgment is the judgment for believers. You, you see how important that is? If you call on him as father, well, only, only believers can call on him as father truly, and they can only call him as father if they know that Christ has ransomed them with, their, with his blood. It's very important here. As a child, we know God has an impartial judgment. The, the father's judgment is always fair. And believer, this is not the judgment if you're going to heaven or hell. The judgment he's referring to here, I don't believe, is a judgment we, we normally think of when we think of, are we going to stand before God or are we going to go to heaven or hell? I believe this is a judgment for Christians after that judgment. If you're not a believer, we do have to talk about that judgment. Every human being made in God's image, which is every human being, will have to stand before God. And, and, and give an account for how they lived their life with or against God. Well, when we stand before God, all of our sin will be so evident. The, the, the law is a mirror now, but when we stand before God, 
face to face with our sin, all of our sin is too obvious. And without the blood of Christ to forgive, there is wrath. God is a just God. He punishes every sin perfectly. You, you will not be punished for sin you do not commit, but you will be punished for every sin you commit, and that should be terrifying. And the only way to be forgiven is by believing in Jesus Christ, his son who died to take away that judgment. If you're not a believer, that's the judgment. I want you to understand, hear, and, and, and take account of today because the only hope is to believe in Jesus Christ in that moment, for that moment. You must believe today. Now, th- this judgment Peter's talking about is for believers. And, and notice our conduct is supposed to be holy. He's going to judge our deeds. That, that, that's why our conduct needs to be fearful, reverent. If we know God is Father, if, if we know the Son has purchased us, we are supposed to have a holy conduct and conduct ourselves with fear. I want you to notice here, as we set our hope on the future grace, the future matters. There's a judgment that's going to come at the end that we should be living for. If you ask a Christian, are you living in a way that you'd want to see God? Are you living right now in a way that you would want God to see? Are you living quorum Deo? Are are, are there things that you practice Regularly, are there things that you entertain that if God were to come at that moment, you would be, you'd be terrified? God's grace is enough to forgive you. God's grace is enough to free you. If, if, if there's things you know that are keeping you from truly enjoying God, if, you, if there's things you, you can think in your life that you know, this is something I don't want to have to give account to God for, I have two simple words for you. Stop it. It's not quite that simple, but it, it is that simple at the same time. If, if there's things that you know you're doing that are so out of bounds of God, and the Father will make us give an account of every deed. If, if, if there's something you are terrified of others knowing, much less God standing before him face to face, you, you put it off. You, you, you pray for the grace to, to set that aside. You, 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 you seek to, to mortify that sin that is corrupting and, and changing you. There is a necessary call, believer, to repent. To, to see something for what it is and that it's destructive, it's dangerous, it will bring a judgment The wonderful grace of God allows us to repent. That, that repentance, that stopping it, it, it's so important because the Holy Spirit is he who makes you holy. The Holy Spirit's work in your heart is to lift you up to God right now. Your, your, your desire should be to be so filled with the Spirit that you'll be lifted up to God to see him and adore him and worship him. Instead of being filled with the Spirit, when we practice sin, we, we quench the Spirit. We grieve the Spirit. We're we're, we're adding weights to our own spiritual affections to grow up to God because we we won't set aside the sin. 
There's a way I want you to see the danger, and that's what he's warning us, the the danger. If we're going to keep practicing sin, there is a judgment to come, and and there's a way in which now we can seek to repent of it. But I want to look at it at another angle as well. You you could live life in such a way that you're looking forward to judgment. We, We sang it earlier, first verses of where shall I be? When judgment day is drawing nigh, where shall I be? When God, the works of men, will try, where shall I be? Believer, we we can't be sinless, but there's a way in which we can live life not ashamed. By, By entering boldly into the presence of God now with a clear conscience, because not only have we been forgiven and saved but we've, we're seeking to practice sanctification. We're seeking to put off sin and put on righteousness. I, I believe this is important because Peter's writing to elect exiles that are starting to feel the full weight of the pressures outside to possibly deny the gospel because of the persecution, because of trouble in the home, with the state, with neighbors. It, it's important to know it's not the neighbor who's judging you, it's not your boss who's judging you that matters most, it's not your government who's judging you most, it's not, the most important judgment you're looking forward to and living for is facing God. I I believe believers need to hear this to know God gives rewards in this judgment. God God is watching us in, in perseverance, those who are feeling weary in doing good, They feel the burden to submit to an ungodly husband or to to love an unfaithful wife? To to labor love for disrespectful children? To to honor fathers who exasperate them? That that is good work that God sees, and, and you want to keep persevering in the midst of that, knowing God is going to judge impartially. And judgment doesn't always mean punishment. Judgment has a reward. Live knowing that there's a hope, there's a grace to be brought to you. It's a full of salvation, but there's also a reward for those who persevere. Oh, to live life in a way that longs to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. We have to hear the stick there. There's a danger if we're going to keep practicing sin and God's going to bring a judgment of those deeds. And it doesn't mean we lose salvation, but there's a judgment. But, oh, the, the carrot, the, the reward. How good God is. You know, he, he never punishes sin we did not commit. And he never rewards somebody for obedience they did not practice. But he does always reward obedience. Practice. Notice the next full weight of reverence here in that it isn't just that the Father brings a judgment. It's you were ransomed. You you were purchased. You were set free. You were were bought in full. The the word here does pull back so very clearly to the the exodus of Israel from from being enslaved to Egypt. Here, though, you're, you're ransomed. From the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Two important aspects of this ransom. You're ransomed from something and with something. 
verse 18. If, if you've believed in Jesus and you know the Father as an obedient child, know you've been ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Those futile ways would not be that different, that I think, from verse 14, the passions you had in your former ignorance. You've been ransomed from something. Futility. You're ransomed away from wasting away again in Margaritaville. That's good news. You're wasted, you're ransomed from, from, from empty, hollow pursuits of everything you think is going to make you happy. Futility there carries the idea that it's empty, it's fruitless, it's powerless. You're wasting time doing nothing worth doing. God saves you from that. Christ died to pull you out of that darkness. You're ransomed out of futility. You're you're ransomed out of wasting the precious life that God has given you as an image bearer. Notice what you're ransomed with. There's a contrast again. Not with things that we think are precious, like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Again, the connection here to the Exodus is so obvious. It wasn't just uh, the blood of a lamb that was spotless that they put over the doorpost so the judgment would go over. No, this is, this is the eternal, powerful God, the Word of God Himself who came to be flesh, who, who took on our full human nature and shed his blood on the cross, that blood is not futile. It's full of power and love and goodness. It's, it's precious. It's precious because it's God's blood. It's holy blood who come down for us shed for us to take us out of the futility to take us to God and take us to his holiness we, we, we must have the reverence of yes the father is going to make a judgment and that should be fearful and, and encouraging but oh the, the the passions of our past Christ died to save us from those the, the, the ways of futility in the past, Christ died to save us from those. We, we, I oftentimes teach from Romans 8, God did not spare his own son. What good thing would he withhold from you? And that's encouraging for like the exiles because we, we know if he's given us the best, the, the most precious gift, his own son who, who, who poured out his precious blood for us. There, there's nothing good he would withhold. But let's, let's think about it. In light of this passage, God sent his son to die for you. That that is the love of God fully manifest. That's the love of God most truly manifest. And he did so so that you would know he loves you, so that you would then be his holy people. If God so loved us, what, what thing would you want to withhold from him? The holy God who gave us his own son. The son who shed his own blood. 
This is significant for the call to be holy because we see the, the God who saved us through Christ's da- death. He's worthy. He's worthy of our entire lives that he's purchased. Finally, faith. And this is verses 20 to 21. And really, Peter wants to just, he's focusing in on Christ and who he is. So we know how precious that is. How how much reverence there is for the Father who's going to judge us, but only after he's purchased us with the blood of his own Son, Jesus Christ. Here, faith. Notice it's, it's written somewhat confessionally. Some people think this is a confession of who Jesus is from the early church. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last days for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Notice there the the faith and hope, we're coming back to where we begin. Set your hope in the grace to come. Your faith and hope are in God because of what Christ has done. Verse 20 shows us two things about Jesus Christ that are absolutely important. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. The, the Son was with the, has always been with the Father. Christ was foreknown before creation. The Father and the Son have always existed necessarily together as the one God. He is eternal. We, we, we call this the preexistence of Christ. The second half, but now he's been made manifest. He's become flesh. He's become known. He's made himself known, and he's made himself known in the most amazing ways. He's forever been the Son. He is the only begotten, beloved Son of the Father within the Godhead. But but he became a lamb. Jesus wasn't always a lamb. He became a lamb. Just like he became a lion. He became a priest. He became a prophet. He became a king. All, All those are ways in which Christ has come down to save us by taking on our nature and manifesting God's salvation. Notice it's all for our sake. The the eternal son chose to come down to save a people who would reject him, kill him. And he intentionally did so by becoming the lamb of God who would take away their sin. Notice verse 21 who through him, and that is there's only one way to be a believer in God. There's no other way to believe in God truly. There's one road and way to God. It's Jesus Christ. Anybody who denies he is the Son of God and the one way of God does not know God. There's only one way to know God and only through Jesus Christ are we true believers in the true God. And there, I believe the word God, it's, it's speaking of the Father because we're, we're believers in the Father through the Son. And when we go back to the gospel truths, we began in verse 3. The Father who raised him so that we have new life. The Father that gave him glory. And remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the, the, the glory that it comes is only the glory after the suffering. 
oh, on that purpose. That your faith and your hope are in God. Go back to verse 13. Set your hope fully on the grace that is to come. The, the, the purpose of what God has said in his word, the purpose of what God has done in our world, Christ becoming like us, dying in our place, rising again, it's so that our faith, our trust, our commitment, our hope, our longing, our desire is in the one true God. How good it is that God has given us all the clarity of what he's done for us so that we trust him to know that we should set our hope. He is holy and he's a gracious holy God who calls us up into his holiness. He's made us holy by the precious blood of his son. How could he not expect much of us with the way he's loved us? Elect exiles. What a sure salvation we've been given by such a gracious God. What a wonderful high calling that he has given us as a holy God. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can see two different judgments and not just one. We thank you that you did not just bring judgment against sin after your good creation and we, your image bearers, rebelled against you. Thank you that you promised a word of grace that you then have accomplished in Christ and we now know by your spirit. Father, may we know how to live as these elect exiles you've called us to in holiness. Lord, may, may we feel the exile in, in that we're not in step with this world that's in rebellion against you, but we're in step with you and your Holy Spirit. May we be confident of the election and the love and the, the salvation you've brought to us so that we know how to follow you in obedience. Lord, protect us from any unnecessary guilt, but to, to know we can cry out to you and confess our sins. Protect us from any ungodly rationalization. Oh, help us to see what a high calling you have given to those you have loved so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.